1: to left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it, and a swing and a miss, he struck him out, down the line, and that's the ball game.
0: Brewers fans, welcome back. It is another week of Brewers Unfiltered, and this has maybe been the most fun part of the season for this 2023 Milwaukee Brewers team. They are coming in hot now, riding a season-high nine-game winning streak. This is their longest winning streak, going back to the 2021 season when they'd go on to win 95 games. So it's Adam McCalvey, Tim Dillard, Sophia Minner joining you for another week here to break down all the things that have gone well for the for the Brew Crew during this winning streak. And guys, I don't know what happened after that Dodgers series, but you fly overnight to Texas and they have been hitting and they have been winning ever since. So it's uh, now been sweeps of the Texas Rangers. They came back home, enjoyed an off day, swept the Minnesota Twins, who are in first place in the AL Central, and then enjoyed another off day and then swept the San Diego Padres over the weekend. And, again, it's I think the offense has really carried them during this winning streak, but it just feels like this is the most complete that we have seen the team play this season. We've talked so much about the pitching and defense um, but what have you guys seen here lately, and just how fun has it been to watch them put this kind of streak together?
2: Well, you said, Sophia, what what happened after the Dodgers series? I know one thing that happened, and I don't know if it has a factor in this, plays a role in this at all. But they did have a little meeting after uh, that last game, the one to nothing loss at Dodger Stadium. It was a night game. You guys were about to fly overnight. What'd you get in? Sophia at five o'clock in the morning to Texas. It was kind of everybody kind of had. Um, how do you say this phrase on a podcast? Everybody had, uh, I don't know how to say this without swearing, so I'm not going to say it. It's Everybody was displeased.
0: Displeased.
2: Yeah, you know the baseball term I'm mm-hmm. searching for, but I— everybody wasn't exactly happy to be flying overnight. And as I understand it, it, it you know... Co- Yelich said to even call this a meeting might be overstating it, but it was one of those moments where as they're walking out of the field, Craig Council got everybody together and just had just said a couple things about the way they played against the Dodgers, what lies ahead, that there's still, you know, all this season left to really embrace and enjoy. And Freddie Pralt is the first one who told us about this during the winning streak, that it was just a good reset for everybody. Uh, again, Christian Yelich said it was a perspective check. Now, does that, is that why they started hitting? I have no idea. It's one of those things that like, it's impossible to know which, which, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, but um, ever since then, they look like a different team. So that's one thing that happened during this stretch or, or at the start of the stretch. Oh, I thought you were going to keep going.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll add on there, Adam. I think, to. I think you're right. I think sometimes on the outside, you know, you hear team meeting and I think the perspective is, you know, Craig Council, you know, it's like that old school, you know, you close the doors, Craig Council comes in and flips tables and throws threads. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think people have this very antiquated perception of what a team meeting is. And, and Christian said, really, the message was maybe maybe 30 seconds, maybe one minute. And it's, yeah. Craig always just seems to, you know, have the pulse of, what needs to be said at what time? It's not dramatic. It's not, you know, anything that the players don't know themselves. Uh, I think they all felt that as a team with how they performed in the Dodgers series, they were all just a little tight, you know, maybe pressing, uh, maybe trying to do too much to, you know, beat the Dodgers, who at the at the time were also on quite a, a winning streak of their own. Um, they had won eight in a row, I think, before – the Brewers came in uh, for that series, so sometimes it's just, you know, a perspective check, like you said, and it was not a big deal. But sometimes it's the right message at the right time. And I also think sometimes, Tim, as a player, you know, you have a tough moment like that. You fly overnight. You're sort of forced to just rally, right? Like you get in late. You don't. You're not running on much sleep. You're maybe drinking a lot of coffee. That's just. That's just a normal day for us. But um, you know, you're just. I think you get into that Texas series, and you're very quickly forced to just like, all right, you're on to the next, and you rally, and and sometimes that helps too. You know, you don't have time to think about what happened.
1: That's true. You don't want time to think. Thinking's overrated, right? Just look what I do on a daily <laughs> basis. Um, but yeah, I think you know, when everyone has a different idea of what a team meeting is. You know, is it the closed door? Is it the flipping tables? Is it the standing on the table and clapping like, yay, let's go, team? I think it's going, hey, guys, we're in first place. Can't you smell the playoffs? Like, the playoffs are real. We're, we're right there. Like, let's finish strong type attitude. Like, y'all need to start having fun. They played really tight <laughs> in, uh, in L.A., and you could tell that. The defense struggled a little bit, um, which we haven't seen all season long. So that right there told you they were probably just playing a little tight. But then a reminder is like, hey, we're a good team, and we're going to play well. Um, have no idea what was said there, but it doesn't take much. And Craig Council doesn't do a lot of meetings either. So if he has something to say, it's like, hey, guys, can I say something? And I'm glad they did it in L.A., too, because the the clubhouse yeah. um, is so small there. You know, if you go to some of these other clubhouses, I mean, the Rangers, I mean, hey, everybody gather around. It's like, well, it's like an acre in here. <laughs> you know, you got to rally everybody. together. So really smart heads up to be like, hey, we're in here tight. Let's talk it out. Um, And what do they do? They just come out absolutely guns blazing. And um, you're right, Sophia, when anytime you just have to kind of, you know, drink as much clubhouse coffee as you can and get out there and play. um, It's almost like everything's stacked against you. It's like, man, we just lost. We flew overnight. We got three hours of rest and now we have to play. Um, It's almost like, eh, I'll just relax and play because you you don't have time to get overwhelmed or uptight about it. You just kind of have to get through it. And the brewers have uh, for whatever reason, that was a that's a spark that has projected them nine win nine games, uh, winning streak, and they've scored sixty four runs. That's over seven runs, uh, and they've only given up four uh, on average. So
2: yeah, and haven't scored games. fewer than five runs in any of those games, which is kind of one of the other amazing things, considering how you know we've talked so much about offense this season. So Tim, that's really interesting because Dodger Stadium is a tiny clubhouse. I hadn't thought about that part of it. They It used to be, I think the old clubhouse maybe was even bigger. It was small, but maybe bigger. But they like honeycombed whatever space they had in Dodger Stadium when they did a big renovation years ago and made, like, there's other spaces now. There's a dining room. There's better, what, better training facilities. The training room in the old Dodgers, the old Dodger Stadium locker room looked like What you would see like in a movie from the 80s where like it was the metal lockers, (laughs) tiny room. Nobody had any space and the training room was a curtain, right? You pull the curtain and there was like two training tables and that was the training room.
1: (laughs) And there was one table in the kitchen, too, where we would go and sneak Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles
2: or In-N-Out Burger. That's where all the bullpen would go in there and eat. Yeah, man, that that is, it's a great place, but the clubhouse setup is not, you know, it's not like they have tons of room to sprawl. So that's an interesting um, part of it. I, what what Have you ever seen, Tim, a manager do like the Bull Durham thing, throw bats in the shower and flip out? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. Like, it's just, you got to, sometimes you got to scare them, you know, that kind of attitude. It, it happens I, in the big leagues, <clears throat> in the big leagues, you're not going to get it as much because it's like, you can't really go throwing stuff. You know, the equipment costs more, the surroundings <laughs> cost more, <laughs> the players cost more. So, yeah, you got to be careful. But, yeah, getting cursed out because your, your team's playing bad. And, yeah, that's that's almost a given because sometimes you just need to be jarred back into playing the game the right way. And sometimes you lose track of it. And it's a coach's job to get creative. It is. It's, it's their job to get creative with the offense and uh, the, the defense or pitching or whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's that's
2: one of the big jobs as a manager. Red Council tells a great story. Have you guys heard this one, the the um, Jim Leland story? Where w- when he was a young Marlin and they had a young team, maybe maybe after they won the World Series and then the team got broken down, and <laughs> Leland would get mad. And, and he would do what you're saying, Tim. He would scare them. And he'd, he he. <laughs> They'd come in from a loss and, and Leland would come in, cigarette dangling out of his mouth and just scream and, and scare the hell out of these young baseball players. And then he would leave and everybody would take a breath. And then he would come in with one article of clothing having been removed. And he thought of something he wanted to say more. And he screamed at him again. And then he got out and everyone exhaled. And then he kept coming in each time with one fewer article of clothing on. <laughs> Still the cigarette dangling a little bit, the ash growing a little bit longer and Council said it was just absolutely terrifying as a uh, as a young player to have this uh, old school legendary. I don't that just is maybe something that uh, is a relic of the past because I, I just I can't picture these managers doing this now in the big leagues.
0: No, we know Too bad. Craig, we know Craig Council for sure did not do that. Uh, that is that is not his. Temperament. I know a big league
1: manager that's done something like that when he was a player, something similar. Uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but yeah, uh, sometimes the players only meetings are actually way more fun than a manager's meeting in what way. uh, I mean, you can just, I don't know. You hear it from a player guys, you know, a guy that everybody respects in the clubhouse steps up and says, listen, this is, this needs to change, or we need to start doing this, or we got to cut this out. And everyone's like, yeah, he's been there, done that. You know, that clout that I'm in it. I'm doing this with you guys. It's not like, Hey, you guys go perform. I'm going to go sit in my office. It's like, I'm out there too. Uh, let's get this done together. You know, I'm telling myself this as well as everybody else. It's just a little bit more relatable sometimes. But, yeah, it, th- those things can get out of hand in a really cool way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I don't want to say the offense has gotten out of hand in a really cool way, but the offense is there... – Mark Hanna gave us a great term um, <laughs> at the end of the Padres series as they were wrapping up the homestand and extending this winning streak. He's like – The offense is really offensing right now. Um, And I think (laughs) what he means by that is just the production that they've gotten. And and Tim mentioned the numbers: 64 runs scored at this point of a nine game winning streak. So some of the numbers offensively, guys, the 64 runs on 91 hits, they have 11 home runs in that stretch, 41 walks and 60 strikeouts. So they've done a good job of limiting the chase, getting on base more, um, and their batting average as a team during the winning streak, 289. Their, their OPS, 837. Uh, I mean, this, this is far and away the most productive stretch uh, that we've seen from this offense as a group. Craig Council talks about it all the time, about it's different guys driving the bus. It's never just one guy. And I think that's been true of this winning streak. I feel like almost every game you could point to a different player of why they've won this, why, why they've put together this winning streak.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's each time it's either seven or eight or nine guys that reach base safely, and this is something they probably haven't been getting consistently since like April. April they went eighteen and ten. Right now they're seventeen and seven in August, so they have a chance with what three, two games left. They have a chance to have their best month um, of of the season. And I will say this: this is probably going to be my stat of the week. And so I'm going to this is, this counts as that. So everybody knows, um, what some, you know, we talk about the offense, we talk about the hitting, the swinging, um, the scoring runs, but here's a big one that the Brewers should, should be proud about. And I guarantee there's been a focus on this. This doesn't just happen, but in August, the Brewers have struck out 173 times. That is the lowest in major league baseball. So it's not just you know, hey, they're getting hits, it's they're putting the ball in play, they're not being easy outs, they're not chasing, they're putting up tough at bats against pitchers. And that just wears on a staff on an opposing staff. And so I think that's kind of, you know, gets overlooked at times, because they do draw a lot of walks. And now they're really hitting the ball with runners in scoring position. But how are these people getting on base? You know, they're not striking out. And it's not a fear of not striking out. It's just, keep your bat alive and hopefully something happens look at the Monasterio at bat where he hit a ball in play and they won the game because a guy made an error like you're getting rewarded in baseball now just for putting the ball in play you got to limit strikeouts and they're doing that in August and that's why they're having one of their best months
2: yeah it's like just like in that Dodgers series they certainly they did not play well in the Dodgers series and Tim I think is totally right that the fact they played poor defense all of a sudden and Bryce Trang was sort of Over diving and Joey Weimer missed that ball in center and it's not to single them out. It was all over the field show. They were trying. Wade Miley said it was too much. Try. Um, And since then, but but I was going to say also in that series, they they hit into a lot of loud outs, into a lot of unlucky outs. And since then, during the winning streak, I think you do have to kind of acknowledge that there's been some some luck involved. I mean, they've had the rabbit's foot on a lot of base hits that have just kind of dribbled through or gone through a drawn-in infield or dropped in the right place in the outfield. And some of these long rallies have been the result of putting balls in play and, and then getting a, a little bit of luck that maybe they weren't getting early. But But that's because you're putting the ball in play. And then I think it's it's balanced by nights like last night where the first two innings was just an, a stream of loud contact over and over and over against Jameis and Tyon. So they're trusting each other. And, you know, I, maybe the, I, I asked Mark Canna this. Is part of it that, like, the new guys come in, the lineup looks a little bit different? Do you have to, like, learn to trust the, the new guys a little bit? Um, I wonder whether that's part of it. Because it looks right now like they go up there, take a good at-bat, whatever the outcome is, you trust the guy behind you. And obviously that's what happens during winning streaks, but it just looks like right now they're, they're much more of an offensive unit kind of passing the baton sort of thing than they have been at other stretches of the season where it's relying on a Homer or it's, you know, just crossing your fingers that you get three hits in an inning to score a run. Um, Now they're getting six hits in an inning and it's making a big difference.
0: Yeah. I think Rowdy talked about that too. And I think, You know, Rowdy deserves some credit because he's starting to emerge a little bit. And it's still been with limited playing time because of the addition of Carlos Santana, who before he rolled his ankle and gutted, truly gutted his way through the game um, with that ankle Sunday against the Padres, you know, Santana's been on an eight game hitting streak and Craig Council's made it pretty clear, like he's going to be the everyday first baseman. So Rowdy's kind of been splitting DH time and Rowdy had a, a, a big weekend against San Diego and he said, you know, the approach has really been unselfish. You know, you just kind of ride the wave as a group and you you pick each other up and you know what you're talking about of it's, it's having the right at bat at the right time and, and knowing kind of what the situation calls for. So I think you are seeing that approach kind of up and down and, and maybe it's even... Just for Mark Hanna and Carlos Santana, the new additions. I think they absolutely helped lengthen the lineup, but maybe they just personally needed their time to settle in, right? like to settle in with a new team and new coaches and new routines and you know just all of the logistical things that we don't consider <laughs> that are that are hard when you make a, a midseason trade like that. So um I think it's been it's obviously been the most productive stretch of this of this team and, and Adam, I think you asked. A great question to Christian um, after the first game at Wrigley is, like, how much of this is sustainable? Um, You know, are the scoring five plus runs a game, is that sustainable? We don't know. Um, But I think, like, the approach and some of the, the things that they're doing of getting on base, drawing walks, putting the ball in play, like, that part could be sustainable, I think.
2: I loved his answer to that question. I think it's embedded in my story, and it certainly is on um, the website formerly known as Twitter. Um, I shared it after the game. it it, you know, <clears throat> his answer was basically, it, to us, we don't have to worry about whether it's sustainable. As a hitter, you're, you're in the moment and you're trying to do the job of what the situation calls for when you step to the plate. And it's he almost was like, it's up to you guys to decide whether it's sustainable. I mean, that's a discussion for podcasts and, you know, talk radio and, and standing in line for a beer at the stadium when talking to your friend about the team. Um, for, for him, he said the players are much more in the moment and not thinking about winning streaks or you Know offensive streaks or any of those kinds of things, so I, I loved his answer. I would encourage people to go check it out. Well, I, I think you, you don't have you don't pull off a streak like this with selfish at bats.
1: I think we're seeing unselfish at bats, whether it's a sack fly or hitting the ball to the opposite field to get a guy over. Uh, we saw flashes of this, we've seen this throughout the season. This has been the most consistent time where each guy goes up there. And I think this is what Yelich is alluding to. Like you have a job to do. And sometimes it's easy to get selfish. Like I'm going to really pull this ball. And if you hit a rocket right at the third baseman uh, when it's first and second, that's not going to do much. Yeah. But you hit a little dribbler to the right side. It goes down as weak contact, but it does a job. And the next person gets a base hit scores too. So um, there's a little bit of that going on since this whole thing started where they get a guy over and they get him in. Now, sure. Maybe after all that cool little stuff happens, somebody hits a double down the line and kind of erases that whole thing, but it doesn't matter. I remember when I was a pitcher, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but when pitchers would hit, right, you had a job to bunt a guy over and there was nothing more I was so proud of. I'd bunt and I'd get a guy over to, you know, from first to second or second to third and I'm in the dugout, I'm high-fiving and then the the leadoff batter behind me just hits a huge bomb, right? And everyone kind of stops high-fiving me to go, you know, high-five the guy that actually did something. And I know I've shared the story before, but like, I don't care. It's not like, oh, he showed me up. No, you do the job in the moment. And if you get the big hit, great. But you have a job to do in the moment. And I think at times the Brewers are trying to get that big moment to happen uh, in the wrong situation. And so I think this is the reason it's paying dividends is they're playing baseball the right way. This is what baseball looks like. And I'm happy for them because it's not just one or two guys. It's the entire team.
0: It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Currently, the winning streak is at nine after they took the series opener against the Cubs here at Wrigley. Two games left. The division lead in better news is a season high five games now, and uh, they're trying to continue to add to that. And they'll have five games left against the Chicago Cubs. And and good news, just as we're as we're recording this, they're going to have Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff lined up to rest of the way here at Wrigley before the team returns home. So. That being said, we have a lot to talk about regarding this Brewer's bullpen. Uh, We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back here on Brewer's Unfiltered.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only
0: available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Adam, Tim, and Sophia back with you here on Brewers Unfiltered. Talked a lot about the winning streak, nine games. Talked a lot about the offense. They deserve a lot of credit for how the Brewers have been able to win these games. And guys, I think for the pitching staff, they've been waiting for this kind of stretch as well, just to have a this thing called breathing room. This thing called like you know winning games by more than one run. We know the Brewers have been the best in the league at that. Uh, they've got 27 wins on the season in one-run games. Um, but this this bullpen, they have delivered over and over and over again. Um, and now they're getting some breathing room here with with these wins. Devin Williams has pitched four games over this nine-game winning streak. I, that, to me, is a remarkable stat in itself, um, the fact that they're winning this many games and Devin's not pitching every day. Um, Craig Council has talked about getting a little break here before they get into September for Elvis Peguero and Yoel Piamps, who have pitched a lot this season. Um, and Adam, you've touched on this in your newsletter. Unsung heroes of this Brewers bullpen. I think you could go a lot of different ways. Uh, you're going to have a, an official list in your newsletter, but there's a lot of guys that deserve credit for covering some really big innings and, and helping give guys like Elvis and Yoel and Devin um, a very necessary break as we get into the September stretch.
2: Bryce Wilson is the example of, like, what makes an unsung hero because Adrian Hauser goes out after two innings in that Padres finale. So that's a game that's going to stress your bullpen, and it comes with, you know, before this big three-game series against the Cubs where you really want to be at full strength because you have a chance to create, obviously, create more distance against the team right behind you in the standings. So a big series, as big a series can get in August, I think. Um And by Bryce Wilson delivering four innings, he not only set up the Brewers to come back and win the game, almost as important, he gets them through the day without using their three best relievers. And they go into the Cubs series with those guys fresh, they use two of them, and they come away with another win. So it's that idea that everything is, the way in which everything is connected makes these unsung heroes really important. And the local BBWA guys, one of our postseason awards is unsung hero. So, I pulled the clubhouse yesterday on Monday. I, I got 20 20 people including players, coaches, execs and a couple of just staff, you know, well, Sophia, you were one of them, people who watch the team every day. And who's your, you know, with a month to go, who's your unsung hero? And it was really interesting to hear people like talk through what they think of as that kind of guy. Like for example, Brandon Woodruff got a vote even though he hasn't pitched much this season and he certainly is a sung player. But um, the idea was that, you know, he's, he's been hurt, but he's been with the guys all year and he's played a role in the team, even though he hasn't been playing. So but the the uh, the leaders were uh, Bryce Wilson is the uh, front runner. He, he got the most votes, if we're calling him that. Um, Hobie Milner was second, which is interesting because he was last year's unsung hero. So there was a secondary debate about whether if you win an unsung hero award, aren't you by definition? Haven't you been sung? <laughs> So we'll have to work that one out because I don't know the answer to that question. Um and I think then next was Andrew Monasterio and Yoel Piamps. And um if we're talking about the bullpen, I think Yoel Piamps is a really interesting choice for that because he's obviously getting like you know, he's pitching these big innings and we're talking about him and he's, you know, obviously people are, people know at this point who Yoel Pyamps is. But if you think back to spring training and what his, you know, role was, was, he was battling for a spot. He was one of those out of options guys who had the, I think he I don't know if he had to pitch his way onto the team, but he certainly was not considered like a lock um or a guy who was gonna end up pitching the eighth inning in front of Devin Williams. And his step forward by developing that slider to the point it is right now is, is a really nasty swing and miss pitch is a great story of the season. Um and I I love him as as an unsung hero. I was looking going into last night, so <clears throat> Someone will have to um, update my my stats, but so now I can do this one myself. Twenty seven of his last thirty appearances, he's been unscored upon, and going into last night, it was a one fifty ERA. So now you can bring that down um, a, a tick. And he's, you know, he's just really he, he was second uh, in the NL in WHIP among relievers, uh, fourth in ERA among relievers. It's just a it's a huge story of a player stepping forward, even though you know he's been around the league a little bit. But it's, it shows you you still can make improvements even as you get on in your career. I think to have a good team, you have to have a good
1: bullpen. And one thing that sticks out when it comes to good bullpen is what they can do in, in tough moments. So you talk about you know the closers always in tough moments, You know the eighth-inning guy, the seventh-inning guy. Somebody like Hobie Milner coming in the other day with two runners on base and nobody out against the Padres. That was big. Bryce Wilson. Uh, throwing four innings, he turned a, a loss, the team loss, he turned that into a win by his performance. It's when the pitchers are out there and, the, the, you know, they uh, have to pitch around in air. Like sometimes you got to get four outs. You have to have success in those moments to have a successful team because when something doesn't go your way and nobody steps up, you, you lose the ball game. And I think when I look at the Brewers bullpen, I see, I can almost reference each guy in these moments, have a big moment. Abner Ribe when he got the save, his own you know, his big league save first. Uh just big moments here and and just always. Like that. And it's not just one guy, it's not two, it's not, it's everybody. Look at what Trevor McGill's been doing. I just you can throw a dart right now at the <laughs> not at the player but out on the roster the piece of paper I'm going to say that might hurt card. the yeah. bullpen tim yeah don't hurt him yeah and and just say this guy's going to go pitch because they've proven it in those moments where it's kind of stacked against you a little bit and they've shined and and that gives you such a confidence as a manager to be like oh who do we who do we go with as opposed to being pigeonholed into we have to play this guy at this role and then it's like well he's thrown two days in a row do we do we, do we get him out there? The decision becomes easier when you have that many guys that have shined in those big moments.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked to Craig about this. Is like, there was a point about two weeks ago when he was looking at the schedule. And, and part of this is kind of how the August schedule has gone. It's been a little bit more favorable in terms of team off days, but also importantly, and also just a stretch right against first place teams and you this Cubs series, which is huge. You're trying to create separation. And then you look ahead to September, and there are only two team-off days. And there's another long stretch in there where they have 17 consecutive games. And then they finally get a day off before the final homestand of the regular season, which will come against the Cardinals and the Cubs. And he kind of saw that as a stretch of, like, this is a really hard time for relievers at this point in the season, and specifically, you know, for those big three of Devin and Elvis Peguero and Yoel Piamson, and like consciously wanting to try to give them a break as much as you can, right, as much as the games will allow you to, and using those off days. And I think what Trevor McGill and uh, Abner Uribe have done over these last two weeks has been huge in terms of – and also Bryce Wilson – covering huge innings, sometimes multi-innings, putting up zeros, not having to bring in – any of those guys it's happened a couple times but I think you know Trevor McGill since he's been recalled it's been six scoreless appearances for him Abner had one tough appearance against the Padres where he just really didn't have command at all but he still has a sub two ERA in his 19 games Um, and again all of this you know this is all it's all connected right like the success of one You know, if if that gives another guy a break, then that sets them up for the next day. Like Craig Council talks about that all the time, the connectedness of the bullpen to function and and what that means for the next day in the next series. So I think, you know, first of all, they're healthy, (laughs) knock on all the things. Um, You hope you can keep them that way here as we're getting closer to September. Um, But I think it's been. It's been huge for them to step up in those spots. And it also builds confidence, right? Because these guys are going to be counted on down the stretch, too. Like, even in September, um, you're not going to be able to pitch Devin Williams every day. Um, So other guys are going to have to step up. But that also leads us to, I can't believe we're even talking about this, but next week, September (laughs) Um, call-ups, when the team returns home. The calendar will turn due September, and that means that the rosters will expand, so teams across the league will be able to add one position player and one pitcher. Um, Now, I think the injury to Adrian Hauser may change the picture of this a little bit for the Brewers. Um, He went on the 15-day IL after that Sunday start against the Padres, so we know he's going to miss some time. For now, they brought up J.B. Bukowskis to have another reliever in the pen, and Craig Council did say, we're going to have to bring up a starter uh, to cover Adrian's spot because they want to keep everybody else on schedule and well rested, specifically Wade Miley. Um, so when you're looking at how this roster could you know be adding pieces um, both in the position player group and and the pitching side, kind of who are some of those names that are coming to you of of who could be joining the team uh, when the team returns home to play the Phillies?
2: Let's plug my last newsletter because I made a list of potential call-ups. And I think the way teams do it now, it used to be when, when you could call up anybody on the 40-man roster, teams would, some teams would call up almost 40, you know, have almost 40 guys active. And it, it led to these long games, but you you were unlimited in who you could um, bring up on the from the 40. And now teams kind of bring up, uh, as Sophia said, you get two extra spots. One can be a pitcher. And it means that there's going to be movement. So, like, it's Bukowskis probably would have been a September call-up and then maybe an Owen Miller on the position player side. And then when you have a specific need, both of those guys are optionable, you can still option them down because there's AAA games going on and bring in somebody else. So I think Colin Ray has a really good chance, for example, to pitch in that spot that's vacated by Adrian Hauser. It would be Ray, maybe Julio Tehran, who's about ready to, uh, he's got another rehab start on tap. And then hes he should be healthy, you know, ready for a start. Um, and, you know, then there's Robert Gasser, another guy maybe they could consider a prospect. The difference is he's not on the 40, and he doesn't have that experience that those other guys have who have pitched, you know, some innings for the, the big league team already. But then you know, that might be a one start. And then if they don't, then you go to somebody else. So I think it's going to be some movement with that spot. And I tried to lay out in that piece that's on brewers.com sort of who's on the 40, who are in this pool of candidates to an extent, which of the guys have options and can kind of go back and forth. And I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a number of guys get an opportunity and it's important, especially for that bullpen spot, as you, you were both just saying that it's somebody who can contribute because the, the September schedule is tough in terms of two off days all month. And they're going to have to, you know, you, you cannot run Pagaro, Piamps Williams, even Abner into the ground and and have them be fried by the time you get to October 1. So uh, I think it's it's really important that whoever comes in that spot, if it's a couple of players, pitches some important innings. So, again, it's all connected. That's, that's the key to everything.
1: Well, I mean, you know, hows are going down already you know, being injured, you know, it's still a couple days away. Anything can happen. And all they do is write on the board, like, what's our need? What do we need? What are we lacking here? What's going to be needed, you know, in a week, in a few days? And you make the best decision with the information you have at the time, you know, it, and we don't know what that's going to be. They, the Brewers may not even know at this point who's coming up. It's like you said, Adam, it's not like it used to be. They just call up any Joe Schmo or Tim Dillard that's, you know, rotten in AAA, <laughs> like, let's get these guys up here just in case. Uh, you got to be a little bit more selective. So it will be a revolving door, I think. And uh, luckily, you know, AAA is not like it used to be. It, it runs until, what, the third week of September, uh, like September 20th something. So used to, I'd be home watching, you know, baseball for a month after AAA be over like September 5th. So anyway, things have changed and it's for the better because a lot of times guys would go home and they'd be sitting for two weeks and then suddenly they need a guy. and So he's going to roll off the couch and come play like... You know, that that was my dad did that one time <laughs> is last year playing. He went home from AAA. He was home for two weeks and they called him up. So he goes and plays a month in the big leagues or two weeks in the big leagues. That's kind of over and done with guys are going to be playing so they can contribute. It's going to be a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, I have no idea who it's going to be. They do have options and that's why you have AAA.
2: Yeah, I was gonna just run down just to like run down some of the names if we want on the forty-man roster. The pitching guys that I've kind of highlighted, Bukowskis was one. As we said, he's up already. Colin Ray, Jansen Junk, pitched earlier this year. He's pitched all started all season in AAA. Clayton Andrews has been up and down a couple of times, optionable on the forty-man. Um, I think he's a possibility. Ethan Small. I mean, he did not fare well in his. What was it? One big league appearance this year, but did a good job in the minors this year. Left-handed, yeah. He's I think maybe an outside possibility. Eric Lauer, uh, yeah. I don't know what the situation is there, how much he's on the radar for this, but he's been pitching. He's been starting now at AAA, so he's he's stretched out. Obviously has big league experience and is on the forty man roster. So that's one that I'm curious. As we move forward, whether there's a need there, that may be what determines it. And then I, I put in one guy who's not on the 40, who I just want to see in the big leagues. I don't know if it's gonna happen because there's so many 40 man guys. Thiago Vieira. Remember him in spring training? He we, yeah. we he's such a like such a likable guy. He's pitched all over the world. He's the he speaks three languages and was working on a fourth He was trying to learn Japanese. Um, He throws really hard. He saved some games um, in the minors this year. I don't again, I think it's probably more of an outside shot, but he would be such a fun call up for this pen. And another guy, he's touched triple digits. So like, can you imagine, you know, they're rolling out Abner Uribe and Trevor McGill back to back in some of these games. And it's like who can throw one who can throw one oh three first. And I don't know if Thiago Vieira is still reaching 103. I haven't really seen the AAA velocities, but it's in him. So, like, that could be really fun. But I who knows? Outside. That's that's my wish list for my September call-up, just to have something fun to write about.
0: Well, one of, one of my favorite things that has emerged about this Brewers bullpen is um, the fact that the only person that will play catch with Abner Uribe is Trevor McGill. um apparently it's you have to be rather fearless to play catch with him and it's not just because of how now obviously they are not airing it out right when they're out doing their throwing programs but you know abner throws really hard and his stuff has movement that just doesn't move like anybody else's and so apparently he's you know he's nailed Carlos Villanueva in the ankle. Um, he we've tried multiple catch partners. Just the only one that can handle it is Trevor McGill, probably because he throws as hard as Abner Uribe. Um, so anyway, that's just something that uh, it's when when Trevor McGill has not been with the team, he will have to wait for one of the bullpen catchers to finish with Yoel Piamps and then come over and and play catch with him. So. Um, I think Abner Uribe and Trevor McGill, they've got a good thing going with that, just the the hard stuff that they have and, and being able to help each other out. But the other, I mean, the other name that we should mention that could be a factor is, is Aaron Ashby. Um, he, you know, we saw him at home, uh, our, our group of rehabbers, let's call them, Garrett Mitchell was on the homestand. It was great to see him. Uh, Aaron was there. We saw him about a month ago. He's, feeling a lot better than what he was. Um, you know, he said he's still working through things, still trying to get the sequencing right to get the velocity where he needs it to be, but he's been throwing extended bullpens. He is throwing live BPs in Arizona, and then he is getting ready for his first uh, rehab appearance with the Timber Rattlers this coming weekend. Um, so, Tim, it sounds like you might be road tripping to see Ash, but – I think it's, you know, obviously health is going to be most important for Aaron of getting him built up, getting him healthy. And then they'll just kind of see where he is and if there is a need on the major league team. But it's, you know, just the fact that he's getting back to a point where he's pitching in games and part of the conversation, I think, is is important. And uh, you guys mentioned Julio Tehran as well. He's making a second rehab start. That will be Wednesday with the Nashville sounds, then we'll see where he is after that. Um, So, yeah, a lot of moving pieces right now, especially with the expanded rosters. I think that could all be very fluid.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Ashby because he was on the list as well with a couple of IL guys, with Garrett Mitchell, who has a shot to be on the position player side, still has a shot, Um, and Blake Perkins, who's been a nice extra outfielder for them and switch hits and plays all over, plays well defensively. So they are they are at least well stocked with um, options, literally and figuratively for for this final month.
0: We call that depth.
2: Depth <laughs> and options. Yeah, depth is the most boring topic, but it's like the most important thing because everybody wants all nine guys on the field to be Mike Trout, and it doesn't work that way. You've got. You've got to have depth and you've got to have guys that are, you know, the 1982 Ned Yost coming off the bench for his first at bat in weeks and hitting a big homer over the green monster that helps the Brewers get to the playoffs. I mean, there's there's stories like that in the sport that it's the guys at the end of the bench can play just as big a role as Christian Yelich can, depending on the situation.
0: Well, and uh, I mean, as we're sitting here before rosters have even expanded and a lot more can still happen in this final month of the season, they've already used 56 players on the season, which is more than what they used all of last season. So that just goes to show you how much this depth um, has already been tested at this point. I'm sure we'll see some other new names here. Um, But I think that's a wrap for us here this week on Brewers Unfiltered.
2: No stat of the week this week.
0: Oh, stat of the week. How could I forget? Stat of the week. Well, Tim burned his. Tim, do you want to repeat? Yeah. Got another one. Oh, <laughs> you, got a, okay, you got another
2: one. <laughs> oh, I think oh, I you just burned this. yours, too. So 56 players is a good one. I had I had lost count. Ooh, that is a good one. Unless you have
1: a different I have another stat
2: one. of the week.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. My stat of the week was the Brewers have only struck out uh, 173 times. The batters, Brewers hitters. Uh, and that's the lowest in Major League Baseball. But here's my other one that I just happened to look up <laughs> during commercial break. Uh, the The Brewers pitching in August opponent batting average 206 that is the lowest in baseball so not only on the the offensive side they're not striking out but on the defensive side the pitching's not giving up a lot of hits so I just that that's a really good combination that's that's how you go 17 and seven in in August so far uh, you know those little combos are tasty it's like curds and custard just really
2: tasty combo thinking about that I don't know that I've gone there no.
0: I'm going to trust you on that one. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. But Adam, what do you have for (laughs) stat or uh, food of the week?
2: I am going to say my stat of the week is 11, which is the number of years since a Brewers minor league affiliate won a league title. And I think we should give a little love to the Arizona Complex League Brewers, who Aww. won a best of three series against the Rockies affiliate uh, over the weekend, and they were champs of uh, the rookie league in Arizona. And um, you know that team involves a couple of big 2023 draft pick picks, Cooper Pratt and Eric Batanti, who were guys that were very highly regarded and got overslot deals and, and came in and begin their pro career with a um, with a victory. So. I think uh, congratulations to them because the, the footage shared by the Brewers Player Development, um, again, on the website, formerly known as Twitter, was pretty pretty fun to watch. Those guys definitely had a good time, and, and they deserve it. They're, they're champs.
0: That's awesome. I did love the footage. That was so sweet. It was just, yeah, congratulations to the uh, the Arizona Brewers. Very cool for the that. The baby and Brewers. The baby Brewers, yes. The baby Brewers. Um and we do yeah we do we do mean babies I mean you're talking about 2023 draft picks that's just uh they're fresh fresh in their professional careers but um 11 that's a good number my number for the week is 4.6 and that is the number of walks per game that the offense is drawing over this winning streak um so I just think that's you know just getting on base and creating traffic and pressure innings and we talked about you know the pressure on the other team and the pitching staffs you know working pitch counts all of that uh 4.6 that is my number and total they have drawn 41 walks in um in this winning streak so just another way to get the job done
1: and that's also too that's a great step but they didn't even walk yesterday Honestly, like, right. And that's that was strange because I was watching the game and I had to go back and look. I'm like, they've been walking a ton, you know, during the streak. And then they won yesterday without a walk. I I was kind of curious. When's the last time they even had a win without a walk? I feel like it's such a part of their identity on the offensive side.
2: Well, we'll look that up and we'll bring it to you next week. <laughs> A good color analyst would have that.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think now that we've done stat at the yeah, week, thank we can you. Really now wrap. I'm
2: satisfied. Thank you. Now, yep.
0: now that we've educated the fans on our stats, uh, I think now we can uh, formally wrap this thing up. But. Obviously, a lot of good things happening with this team. The National League Central lead is five. Still two games left to play here at Wrigley Field. It's going to be a good one. Corbin Burns on the mound tonight against Justin Steele, and then Brandon Woodruff will take the ball in the series finale, then we'll all uh, take a deep breath and have a day off, and we'll get ready for September. So um, a lot of fun stuff to keep up on. Make sure you're following the Brewers at Brewers on all of the social platforms. Keep up with Adam's newsletter and uh (laughs) keep up with adam's newsletter and uh you know keep watching the games with us so thanks for joining us we'll talk to you next week here on brewers unfiltered